Great to have Emmett uh, Corcoran back on the programme. Uh, Emmett, we cannot start anywhere else but in your own native Strokestown. Uh, a, a, a fantastic day on Sunday uh, for Strokestown GA Club. There was a huge crowd at the county final. The biggest, uh, I think, in my memory anyway, there was a huge crowd. And, and a dramatic win for Strokestown. And I'd say as we speak, the celebrations are, are well underway. Um, they're well underway and they're not finished yet. No, or not <laughs> near, likely to be. Yeah. Uh, no, the town was absolutely hopping over the weekend there and I think had it been an easy win, it would have been less uh, gratifying yes. for a lot of people. Boyle brought up a tremendous uh, fight. Both teams had issues with injuries. Um, it's not. It was. It was not for anyone's taken. Um, and you know, Strokes are very deservedly uh, won us in the end. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think back over the last twenty years, uh, all the different people that were involved, involved yeah. in the in getting that team to where it is. And of now. course, your own um, family are very much uh, uh, involved in uh, Strokes on GA Club over the years. They have been, yeah. I'm down. Uh, we're heading for. Oh, some of the, some of these uh, days now, I'm sure we'll be seeing a third generation of Corkins playing football in Strokes Town. Right, okay. So, uh, <laughs> um, but no, overall, yeah. like it was a great win. Um, yeah. But I'm sure the I'm sure that Boyle are bitterly disappointed, but they, they did themselves proud. Like again, yeah. it was right down to the line. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, all sound people. Uh, I met them all before the final there, Boyle and Strokes Town and. Look, uh, that's the way life is, and uh, somebody has to win and somebody has to lose, and that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what's the? Is there any anything on the horizon yet for the Connacht? Well, knockout? Uh, the uh, the will be playing the winners of Galway or Mayo, which will not be easy. But it's on the nineteenth, twentieth of November. That's that's nineteenth of November. So we have yeah. more another day to look forward to. Yeah, exactly. So uh, to. Go to the news then. Uh, a very interesting uh, figures today, and uh, I'm glad that she brought it up because I hadn't thought of it. Uh, the retrofitting of houses, uh, which was a central plank of the government's climate change uh, proposals and all that sort of thing, a very low uh, take-up of it, of that scheme nationally, and particularly in Roscommon, it's one of the lowest in the country. Yeah, Roscommon and this whole region here were in the bottom three, I believe. Um, and, you know, I think, was it five houses that That's successfully progressed? Uh, um, and it really is a reflection of the, I suppose, the failure of understanding of government of what it means to ordinary working people to actually come up with the match funding for these schemes. Yeah, um, like this is, uh, isn't this a huge cost, uh, Emmett? I'm not aware. Well, I think it's 30 or 40 grand, isn't it? Yeah, and you have to, I think it's probably more than the 80% now, but you have to come up with a significant amount of additional Funded. money as well, yeah. and there's all sorts of bridging finance and things required and to be honest with you it's one of those situations where people just simply have not got the money to spare um, yeah, that's, that's a sign of the times that we're in and I can't I can't see any ordinary family around this part of the world that would be in in any position to um, 
outlay that kind of money, even in a very short period of time. Yeah. Um, so the I think I just pulled up the figures here. The retrofit ranges from anywhere from twelve thousand six hundred to seventy nine thousand. Right. Okay. An average cost of twenty nine thousand. Right. So that's where the thirty was. Um, and the grants uh, that would offset the average twenty nine thousand would be twenty thousand. So you're talking about you know people having to still stump up nine thousand uh, on average out of their own pockets, um, and that's a lot of money. Now, granted, you're getting a lot of work done um, for it, but I don't think people are able to see. The, the benefits in their lifetime. And I think that's where a lot of people are going. Yeah. They say, okay, even if all this works perfectly and I can get everything nice and neat and work it out um, and their pumps and the insulation don't, you know, go out of yes, day yes. or anything yeah, like that yeah. down the line, I still won't get my money back, even with the grant. Um, and that's if they could get the money to do it at all in the first place. So I think that's really a sign of where it's at. Um, and I think if retrofitting is really going to be uh, yeah, central, a central plank of government climate policy, they need to really, really seriously rethink this scheme. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, the figures are just... Well, the figures are there for all to see. I mean, uh, you know, uh, people vote with their feet and... Uh, you know, they just haven't taken the scheme up, and that's it. Yeah, um, and look, the reality is, if you want to appeal at the top end of that scheme at the eighty thousand range, you're talking about fifty percent essentially. Yeah, um, would have to be stumped up, and like that is really um, insurmountable for most people. Yeah. Um, just to give it a bit of a rundown there on what the the ten lowest or ten fewest yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. applications were: Clare at nine, Mead at nine. Wicklow at 8, Mayo at 8, Loud at 7, Wexford at 7, now we're into the West, um, Longford 6, Westmead 5, Roscommon 5, Offaly 3, Leash 3, Kilkenny 1, and Leitrim 0. So mm-hmm. like that really goes to show you that once you... Um, once you're mm. in any of the rural um, uh, counties, yeah. counties at all, and smaller rural counties, people aren't even applying. Well, is it amazing? Just uh, before we finish on that, uh, like you named Loud and Wicklow, they're on on uh, just got eight. I mean, they're heavily populated counties, very close to Dublin. Do yeah, know? and I think my, the, I suppose it's anecdotal, but you would imagine that given the level of new bills yeah. that would be going on in a lot of those counties. That would probably be uh, explain a lot of the yeah, yeah, yeah. more urban counties have having lower figures. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the cutoff point is, but I think it's about 2006. Um, that's somewhere in that region. If you want to apply, that your houses have been built before that. Um, and then again, you're looking at a lot of people that are living in these areas have massive mortgages up to their hills, um, and the idea of being able to outlay any amount of money is just not realistic. And it's the two ends of the spectrum, I suppose. When you go east and west, you have people mortgaged to the hills with no uh, surplus income and probably not even enough to cover their mortgage and outgoings. And then incomes that are so yeah. low that even if you're a homeowner or living in um, subsidised housing, it's just not an option. And so it's it's a scheme that really needs to be retaught. Um, if climate change, if this particular type of programme is going to form part of our climate action plan. 
Well, there's no doubt about it. Now, uh, something that uh, really is fascinating me over the last week or so, and I've been saying this, like, we have nowhere now to house refugees that are arriving into Dublin Airport, whether they be from Ukraine or anywhere else. But you see, I don't know, maybe my take on this is wrong. We have a housing emergency in this country. We had ten or 11,000 of our own people who were homeless. Uh, we brought in... Uh, fifty, I think it's 52,000 now at the last count from uh, Ukraine. And don't get me wrong, uh, what has happened to those poor people has been just unspeakable. But, like, we're just, we just don't have room for, for any more. And, I mean, I think we have done a very good job, and I think we have done our bit, we've done more than our bit. But, I mean, they're going to have to do something about, like, there's 1,200 people a week coming into Dublin Airport uh, refugees. I mean, we just don't have anywhere to put them. And by the by December, they reckon that there's going to be 15,000 people uh, in addition to our own homeless people who will have nowhere to sleep. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those situations um, where we've done everything that we could possibly be expected to do as a nation. And, uh, you know, we look even here locally. Um, news coming out there yesterday in relation to uh, 135. Yes, uh, you were telling me that. Uh, coming to Balladrine. Um, coming yeah. to Balladrine, a town that has probably bore more than its fair share yeah. of um, uh, migrant relocation yeah. in this country. And look, even if the money was no obstacle. We are at a point now where it's simply a matter of room. And I am desperately uh, afraid of what's going to happen next summer when a lot of the bigger hotels, which are currently being used um, as a stopgap to uh, deal with the immigration crisis and... We're, we're going to see a lot of those hotels. That we, we've seen it time and time again, um, particularly in the more tourist-centred uh, yeah, uh, locations areas, around the yeah, country. Yeah. They have no compulsion whatsoever of on May 1st ending these contracts. And Everybody else, here come the tourists. Yeah, yeah. yeah, here come the tourists. And the, the long and the short of it is very simple. If there's not a serious rethinking done on this between now and next May, the crisis that we're seeing on the streets and in our airport and across our country today is going to be significantly worse come next May. Um, but solutions are few and far between um, because we don't yeah. have any. We yeah. don't have enough uh, housing for the people who are... But like I mean, say, should should the Department of Foreign Affairs be saying well, to the Ukrainians and others, look at folks, uh, uh, we'd love to help you out, but we're full. We, we have no more room. Don't come. Um, Probably you, can't. Logic, logic, logic would dictate that they should. Um, but I have no doubt in my mind that uh, the diplomatic chats that have been had... Yeah. Our Ireland hasn't kept us, and therefore, how are we to know? Um, so, yeah, cap it. Um, like, in the alternative, we're talking about adding to a homeless problem in this country that's already 10,000 strong. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's not going to be 
any good for society. It's not going to be any good for the refugees who are fleeing a war. And it will create, undoubtedly create social issues um, at home. And look, we can stand up as a country and as a people around the world and hold our heads high and say, yeah. we literally filled the yeah. tank to the brim. We did. What more can we do? Exactly, um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that would be my take on it. Um, but I don't think, I, I, I don't, I can't see um, the government of the day uh, being willing to stand up and say that. No. Uh, and finally, as the fella says, um, this month's Prime Minister in Britain is, is Rishi Sunak. <laughs> this, this, this month's... Uh, this month's uh, uh, yeah. occupant of number 10 is Rishi Sunak. Yeah. Uh, talk about uh, people going in and out of houses. Uh, but anyway, uh, they have eventually put him in there after the... Like, I mean, the biggest soap opera um, this year has not been uh, EastEnders or Coronation Street. It's definitely been the politi- political situation in, in, in the UK. But maybe this guy will settle things down. Look, hopefully. Um, I'm not the greatest observer of UK politics. No, nor me either. But could, you couldn't... No, couldn't, couldn't help but, couldn't help but, but to yeah. see what's going on yeah. um, over the last uh, number of years, I suppose, back since yeah. that day of Brexit thought in 2016. Yeah. Um, it re-emphasised the, the importance of Ireland's relationship with the UK, um, and it's like everything else. If you, if Ireland or if the UK sneezes, Ireland catches the flu. That's um, it. So That's it. a stabilising effect uh, in the UK hopefully will come with uh, Rishi's appointment. Um, the Tories. As we were discussing last week, we were kind of we didn't really know where they were going to turn at that stage. We weren't fully sure what Liz Truss's future held, although the writing appeared to be on the wall. Um, and to be in a to be here a week later and at least know who's taking the job um, is a is a stabilising effect. It has a stabilising effect in itself. Um, as for the direction of. Um, UK politics and what that means for the world, it's almost irrelevant at this stage because we're we're, we're just happy to have someone that yeah. seems competent and strong in that role as a, as a neighbouring nation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he has a lot of work ahead of himself um, as a new Premier. He will no doubt be um, up to the challenge, uh, considering that the Conservative Party managed to actually put the divisions aside and exactly. come out virtually mm. unanimously uh, in support of him. One has to say that says something about him as yeah, an individual yeah. and his character, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. But it's going to have to be. Um, it's going to have. To be, it's going to remain to be seen whether the UK as an entity, mm. um, regardless of who is its leader can recover from the reputational and uh, yeah. damage that's been on a global scale yeah. to, uh, over the last 
six years. Yeah, um, what are your own thoughts in relation? Well, to I have to say, I have to the nation like, that used to run a quarter of the world. Yeah, well, you know, I used to say, you know, often we have a very fractious, as you know, in this country, we have a very sort of a fractious relationship with, with the UK. It's a sort of a love-hate relationship. An awful lot of our people uh, have depended on the UK for their living and all that sort of thing, etc., etc. And then you have the history of the 800 years and all that sort of thing and the famine and all that sort of thing. But, I mean, it's, they remain our neighbours and uh, I, I just cannot believe what has happened there over the last five or six years. I mean, I, I admired David Cameron and, and he turned around one day then. He was afraid of UKIP. And he turned around and gave them, uh, gave the British people a chance to vote themselves out of Europe uh, just because David Cameron uh, was trying to appease UKIP and the likes of Nigel Farage. Uh, not for one second did they ever think that, uh, that the British people might actually vote to go out of Europe. And that's exactly what they did. And uh, it's gone downhill from there. There's no doubt about it. It's it's only dawning on the British people and the economy now what exactly they did on that particular date. Uh, and it has gone downhill on them since. Uh, like Boris Johnson got a huge majority, but that was uh, because he was seen as a bit of a rascal and, you know, it was a bit of crack and that sort of thing. I think people yeah, now... Yeah, a lot that yeah. that led the likes of his success yeah. and, and like it was before COVID and it was a bit of crack and all that sort of thing but now after COVID and after everything that has happened uh, and uh, I mean you know the Conservative Party put in Liz Truss and she wasn't a wet week there and they had to run her again so I don't know whether this guy is going to be any good or not I'm reading in the papers where he's a very 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 capable guy the only thing is I believe that there is a big number of people in the Conservative Party who blame him for getting rid of Boris Johnson uh, and uh, that they're going, they, at the first opportunity that he makes a mistake, they'll have the knives out. Yeah, and that's, that is the current state of the modern Conservative Party in the UK. Um, they're, they've always had a reputation for being ruthless. Um, but they certainly don't seem to take any prisoners at the minute when it comes down to who's leading their party. And I saw um, a contribution, if you can call it that, from yeah. Nigel Farage last week in the wake of Liz Truss's resignation, um, or well, I suppose we can call her resignation in, in the most yes, technical yeah, yeah. terms. Um, but the, you know, there is still that um, skullduggery, yeah, for lack yeah. of a better phrase, yeah there and I don't think there's going to be an element of the Conservative Party in the UK that is going to be always out for blood and they're never going to be happy yeah. with who their leader is. Similar like, to what we see happen in the Republican Party in the US. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Very similar. Two parties within one. And I think the only solution to it uh, long term is a general election. has to be the only solution. It would be. And I think, I think given the farce of the last few weeks and months, um, I think the UK will probably strongly uh, shift to the left. Um, yeah, I agree. And shift to back to Labour. Um, and I can see the campaign slogans already. Didn't happen under Tony. Didn't ha- this didn't happen under Tony. Yeah, um, Tony Blair was yeah. uh, leader of the Conservative Party for, am I right in saying, the best part of 
a decade and a half. Oh, he was a decade and a half there, yeah. And uh, um, I, if they get in this time, they'll be in for a decade and a half. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's not to say that um, uh, the leadership of the um, current uh, Labour uh, Party. Party in the UK is, of, is much, much yeah. the better, but it certainly um, couldn't be an awful lot worse than what we're seeing yeah. in the Conservative Party. All right, we'll see how it shakes out over the next week. Thanks for taking the time out. I know you're busy, uh, Emmett, and we'll talk to you next week. And thank you. God bless.